Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai, 32 years. Wow, what a big day this week. Big day this week. Sounds like Ringo Starr. Hell yeah. Hard day's night. (laughs) Big day this week. I had a big day this week. Three big days. Did 13 surgeries this week. Big ones, including a reverse shoulder replacement. One of the coolest operations a human being can do. But so many interesting hip cases and knee surgeries. And I look forward to teaching you and telling you all about it. What a show we have. My guest at 8.15 is an inventor. He's a creative guy. In the fashion business. His name is Wes Horvatuck. And thanks to the great Jared Abrams who tracked him down, Wes has created a new type of bathing suit, board shorts, surfing trunks. And it combines the two worlds. The fabric of a surf trunk bathing suit but with the warmth and flexibility and durability that you get from wearing a neoprene wetsuit. Nobody ever did this before. Shocking. He melded the two worlds together, and I got a pair, and they're fantastic. And it made me think all week. You know how much I love the world of art, the world of sports, and the world of surgery. To look back on people like Wes in these worlds who combined two different worlds to make a product that is special. And in the world of sports, Hoyle Schweitzer and Jim Drake, a sailor and a surfer, got together and in 1968 made a windsurfer. In the world of art, we'll talk about music. We'll talk about these guys, the ventures, Two guys who came together to do something so special. They sold over 100 million records. They're the number one instrumental band ever. They made this song. These guys changed the world of music. Because what me as a layperson don't appreciate that I later learned is when they realized stereo was invented, that you had two speakers, rather than just one speaker coming out of your radio, they decided, how do we get both speakers to be blasting at the same time? Even though they're not singing the songs, they're making this great instrumental music, they came up with a groundbreaking idea. 
which is to record on two separate tracks, which forced both speakers to go at the same time. That is why that song pops in your head. Awesome. But in the world of art, the person I do want to talk about, who melded two worlds together, because you know how much I love food, well, there's something called a cronut. It's a combination of a croissant, that buttery multiple-layer pastry that's crunchy and soft on the inside. It changes your life to eat one in Paris, trust me. And a donut, which I am a donutologist. You hear me talk about going to Good Time Donuts in Ventura to see Sue and get those amazing donuts that she makes. Well, Dominic Ansel, the greatest pastry chef living. You'll hear Anthony Bourdain interviewing him, pretty much telling us that. Dominic Ansel combined a donut and a croissant and made a cronut. He actually had a bakery here. I think COVID took it out in the Grove. But I'm going to tell you where in L.A., because I had a whole bunch this week, you can get, in my opinion, the greatest cronut. And if you've never had one before, oh, my God, wait till I tell you what that's all about. In my world of surgery, where do you see the beautiful example of an inventor combining two worlds? Every one of those hips and knees and shoulders I did this week, I have a brand new suture that I use, which combines the world of sutures, fishing line, if you will, with the barb of a fish hook, so I don't have to tie knots anymore. It's, it's amazing. It's from Ethicon, called a Stratifix, and I love it. In a few weeks from now, I think at the end of October, we're going to have a guest coming on to talk about sutures and the fascinating world of making the right kind of needle can't wait to talk to him his name is frank from ethicon that'll be coming up but i'm so excited to talk about today's show and my guests melding two worlds together in art in sports and surgery and don't forget we'll do some clapper vision i want to talk about the usc quarterback jackson dart he ain't playing he had surgery to repair his meniscus tear. Clap revision. What exactly is a meniscus repair? I'm not talking about trimming a meniscus. I'm talking about repairing the meniscus. And it'll involve a fork and a slice of apple pie where the apples separate from the crust. I'm not talking about the tip of the pie. I'm talking about a slice of pie where you've got that beautiful vertical crust, crunchy and crispy, and then you have the meat of the pie, in the case of apple pie, cinnamon and sugar and the apple slices, but imagine the apple and the the main part of the pie separates from the crust, a rip, a vertical rip separation. Well, that's a meniscus tear. And rather than removing the whole portion of the apples and leave the crust we want to repair it how do we do that clapper vision i'll explain clapper vision and the numbers 877-710-ESPN when we open the clinics a little bit later but right now let's get into what i discovered that i did not expect which is really a deeper meaning to this today's topic 
At first, I thought it would be the idea of just blending two worlds together, which I am. But I did not realize what happens when two individuals come together to create a new invention versus a single person like Dominic Ansel who comes up with the idea himself. That's what happened to me in surgery when I, I have six patents. The tools I invented are used all over the world. But this was an idea that came to me after going to the dentist's office and seeing the scaler cleaning teeth for the first time. This was an idea that popped into my head. But what you hear, the story of the windsurfer, Hoyle Schweitzer, the surfer, made it really into the sport. But it was the aeronautical engineer Jim Drake who partnered with him, the sailor, that combined forces. That creates a certain kind of friction, jealousy, who knows what. Hoyle Schweitzer ultimately bought out that 50% share of the idea for $36,000, which was, is not a lot of money, but it was a lot of money in the late 60s when Hoyle Schweitzer did that. But he took the ball and ran with it. But there was friction. It's a, one of the greatest inventions, the windsurfer. But there's a lot of friction in the story. Who invented it? Who gets credit? And all this, when you talk about the cronut, there's only one guy to talk about, Dominic Ansel. But let's first hear about the story of the windsurfer, blending that world of sailboard and surfer. Here's the great big wave surfer, Dave Kalama, talking about when he saw the very first one in Hawaii. Now, I've seen pictures, uh, I'm not sure if it was in Waikiki or somewhere, of a person with a sail on a board, but I think they were laying on it and it didn't have the universal, and I think that was the main component to windsurfing that differentiated it from sailing. So, uh, to the best of my knowledge, Hoyle Schweitzer is obviously the one that, that really took the ball and ran with it, but I think Jim Drake was involved in the universal design. Dave Kalam is already telling you there's a Hoyle Schweitzer, there's a Jim Drake, and who's really responsible for inventing? This, unfortunately, is the understory to this incredible invention. In 1967, two men on the other side of the country in California put their heads together and came up with a sailboat design of their own. These men were, of course, Jim Drake, an aeronautical engineer, and Hoyle Schweitzer. What was, what was different was they, they used the wishbone boom and a Marconi rig. It was a design concept that was better than it was better than Darby's. Darby didn't get there. Darby had nothing to do with the wishbone boom. That was that was the greatest step forward was the wishbone boom. He's talking about Darby in Pennsylvania who put a basically a sail on top of a surfboard, but he didn't have a universal joint. What's the beauty of the universal joint that bolts the mass to the sailboard? To, or to the surfboard? Because that universal joint allows you to tilt the sail forward towards the nose of the board versus tilting it backwards. What happens when you tilt this, the sail forwards on a, on a windsurfer? Well, because under the board is a keel that's going vertically into the water, when you tilt the sail forward, when the wind is behind you, it makes you turn to the right. When you tilt the sailboard 
towards the tail backwards, it turns the board to the left. It's as simple as that. And where did Jim Drake come up with this idea? He's driving home one day, and he's thinking about how are we going to do two things, power this board with the wind and steer it at the same time. It's like the Wright brothers. How are you going to do this? And he started to think about the 16th century sailors, like Christopher Columbus guys. The rudders on those sailboats were worthless. They weren't steering the boat. These amazing sailors from Spain and Portugal who went all over the world had multiple masts on their sailboats. Just look at the Pinta, what are the names of the three boats? I forgot. Santa Maria, whatever. What they would do, these older sailors from the 1600s and even earlier, was they would raise the sail in the front of the boat versus lowering the sail in the back of the boat, or the, ma- the mast, the sails on the mast, because they had multiple masts on those boats and vice versa. This is how they steel- steered the boat by raising the different sails. And this stuck with Jim Drake. That's how I'm going to be able to get power and steering from these old sailors teaching me how they did it. I know that Jim and Hoyle were friends and that Hoyle brought the surfing side and Jim, the sailing side, they thought, wouldn't we put the two together? That'd be a neat invention. There were several longboard prototypes for the original windsurfer, most designed by Hoyle, shaped by Gary Seaman. Once the final design was selected, it would become a matter of manufacturing the board at a cost and later at a pace that would contribute to the growth of the sport. Exactly. I mean, Hoyle did an amazing thing with the sport and taking that concept and throwing his life savings into it and his passion and you know risking it all to try and turn it into something commercially viable that people would actually buy and he pulled it off which was really neat. Hoyle developed it, ran with it and put it on the map and is responsible for the way we see it today there's no question. If he hadn't done it somebody else would have. Would it have been Darby? Probably not. However inventor, he's the inventor According to the Smithsonian, he's the inventor. Jim Darby, the aeronautical engineer. But listen to Hoyle Schweitzer's son, Matt, talk about the beginnings. As most people who have tried it know, even with an instructor, the first coat can be quite calamitous. The next attempt was made by Hoyle Schweitzer, who added an uphole rope to the mix, utilized to get the sail up and out of the water. Once they were up and going, a whole new world of wind and water evolved. I know the first successful windsurfing was done at Malibu, and that was with uh, my father and a guy named Alan Parducci and Gary Seaman. But where did it take off? Ah, it was Germany. Of all the places, they fell in love with windsurfing. It was really unique to see somebody with a windsurfer, and then it grew to be the fastest growing sport in the world. They treated us like Vikings. It was insane. One of the countries where windsurfing became extremely popular, Germany, I think the popularity was on these little inland lakes. There were so many people who wanted to windsurf, they had to race in the water. It was such an in thing. You'd be driving around the Autobahn and, you know, one out of every three cars had a windsurfer on it. Can you imagine? The early 1980s saw a period of tremendous growth for windsurfing. Participation was at an all-time high. The professional World Cup tour was born, and the sport was awarded with Olympic status in the 84 Games. In Hawaii, 
riders were taking the sport to new rocket levels, and equipment developed at a feverish pitch. The greatest windsurfer in the history of the sport is Robbie Nash. Wait till you hear him. You can hear the passion in his voice. He literally could go up the face of the wave at Pipeline and do a 360, literally, roll a somersault with the winds, the board, everything, and then land back down and ride Pipeline. Once the invention came about, so many innovations came afterwards. First time I jumped the windsurfer was at Sunset Beach in California. You know, you'd be flying out and going fast and a wave's coming at you and it's in inevitable that you, what's going to happen, you're, it's like on a, a motorcycle hitting a jump, you're going to get airborne. And I remember just yelling, going, oh my God, this is insane. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, you had a brand new board every week and a new sale every month. and. You know, the, the industry was classic. You'd have to buy this, and six months later, you'd have to buy that. That one's completely outdated, and, you know, it was crazy for a while. And then the innovation continued to happen. All of a sudden, there was no limit of what you could do. Over-the-top, inventive, anything you wanted to try, you had to try it. It was incredible. If anything looked like it might work, you'd try it. But you need the concept to start someplace. In the world of sports, the example of bringing two worlds together is the windsurfer. It changed the world. But it was two people who came together. And the friction that occurred with that, I did not realize. In the world of art, however, what you're going to hear coming up next is one of the most creative people in the food business. And he's Thankfully, he's young. He's still around. Dominique Ansel. It's going to be more than listening to him talk about baking. He just happens to use food. But what he does is excite all of us with what's possible each day. He happened to invent the cronut. And coming up, you're going to hear Anthony Bourdain talking about how much he idolized and encouraged this young inventor. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Holy emoji, clap man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like... Follow and enjoy a wise decision. The Weekend Wear Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. What's going on? It's Max. You know, there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend Dr. Clapper. And the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. It's like one plus one is three. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Antibiotics, they were nice. Going to the moon was nice. But putting Oreo cookies around vanilla ice cream and hot fudge. Unbelievable. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. I want to Weekend Warriors, 
What I love about that song by Neil Young is in a minute, you're going to hear him start playing the harmonica while he's playing the guitar. There we go. He's melding two instruments together to make them sound as one. How he does this is quite remarkable. That's what it sounds like when you meld two things and make something brand new. It's a brand new sound. Well, where in the world of art does a single inventor, not two people, but a single inventor like Neil Young, create something brand new from two separate worlds? If you go on Twitter, at Dr. Robert Clapper, you will see something that will take your breath away. It's not one, but two. My mouth is watering already. Cronuts. It's a brand new idea in the donut world. Combining a croissant and a donut. When Dominic Ansel came up with this idea in 2013, he changed the world. Three days after he comes up with this idea, his baker in New York has a line around the block. He's selling them for $5 a piece. You can only imagine the New Yorkers going crazy. They started buying them and then selling them to other people for over $40 a piece. They had to hire a bouncer because of the fights they had online. You can get them here in L.A., and I'm going to tell you a little later in the show where you can, but listen to the great and the late Anthony Bourdain teaching us that there's more than just the donut and croissant going on here. It's the inventor. It's the creativity, which is what today's show is about. Making something brand new with a creative mind from two things, two worlds that already exist. Listen to Anthony Bourdain talk about Dominic Ansel. In the pastry world, there are plenty of skilled technicians. Let's play the music, let's go. But very few of them are also magicians, like Dominique Ancel. He was the executive pastry chef for Daniel Boulou when his world-renowned restaurant Daniel won its coveted third Michelin star and was named the world's best pastry chef as part of the 2017 World's 50 Best Restaurant Awards. So he's the best baker in the world. What does he do? He makes something called a cronut. Dominique's creations are not only mind-blowingly delicious, they also tell stories that pull at your heartstrings, make you laugh, and always surprise. If you're serious about food, you know who Dominique Ancel is. If not, you probably know his most famous creation, the Cronut. When the Cronut launched, it was a genuine viral phenomenon. Three days after its launch, the line to get one formed at 5 a.m. and circled the block. Scalpers were selling the $5 pastry for over $40 a piece. Even a bouncer was hired. He changes the world. Was it frightening? I mean, when this thing blew up, who could have anticipated that people would go this crazy for a thing? I mean, it was a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a small town uh, right. north of Paris, like a very humble, like, uh, factory worker town. My dad used to work in factory. And I would have never imagined if you had told me that you'll be creating a pastry that will, that will go viral. I would have never believed it. But listen now where Dominic Ansel says to Anthony Bourdain, 
you said that on my tombstone, he's a young guy, this creative inventor, but Bourdain said on your tombstone, it's going to say, here lies Dominic Ansel, the creator of the cronut. And rather than take it as a compliment, which he does, he says, I didn't like that because it meant that I'm only going to come up with one thing in my life. Don't say that to a creative person. I have six patents. I don't just have one. And I continue to invent. A paper I wrote, which you've heard me talk about, studying the saber-toothed tiger at the La Brea Tar Pits, their hips. The paper was just accepted, I heard this week, for publication. Soon there'll be an exhibit at the La Brea, La Brea Tar Pits because of me seeing the world differently and understanding that those saber-toothed tigers, they didn't hunt alone, they hunted in packs. How did me, the orthopedic surgeon, come up with this? It's because I studied the hips and the damaged hips in three of the cats in their skeletons from 20,000 years ago. I'm only saying that because a creative person keeps creating, just like breathing. So he listened to Dominic Ansel basically say to Anthony Bourdain, how dare you say that I'm only going to have a cronut? I'm going to do many things. You did not settle for, for, for this sit back and cash in. You kept going... Yeah, and you know, I don't know if you remember or not, but we met like many, many years ago and, and you told me something. You told me something that really like stuck with me. You told me that on my grave, it will say Dominican cell, creator of the Conrad. And you know, it's a nice thing to create something new, but it really got to me and haunted me for a long time. <laughs> yep. But it was a very important part of the story that, that made me realize that I had more to offer and creativity is something that any chef should be developing and growing in the kitchen. Exactly. Keep growing in the kitchen. I'm not just going to do a cronut, one thing, although they're amazing. As Dominique says, don't let the creation kill the creativity. The success of the cronut allowed Dominique to share his vision around the globe, and he now has bakeries in London and Tokyo, as well as a second location in New York, which serves as his laboratory and creative playground. Mm. It's more than the pastry is what I'm trying to say. There's more. Biting into a cronut, you can feel the inspiration to do something different. I suck at pastry. Pastry chefs and bakers know how to do something that I could never do. A sauce, it's a little of this, a little of that. Uh, okay, it's good. There's a margin for error. If you yeah. don't put the right amount That's of right. everything... It's just not going to yeah, work. History is science, and science has to be precise. So everything is measured, scales, weighted out. But there's also this, this touch that you need. And uh, especially when you make bread, croissants, it's, it's alive. To me, it's magic. It's every <laughs> time, and I, I'm envious. You know why it's magic, Anthony Bourdain? It's magic because when you're making a big bowl of spaghetti sauce, you can, ah, it needs a little more salt, needs a little more pepper. When you bake a cake, you only get to taste the finished product. You don't get to talk to it during the cooking process. That's why it's magic. You have to wait for it to be unveiled only at the end. That's why these guys are magicians. It's some sort of, of craft that you have to master. You have to do it over and over again, day after day after day. It's not something you can just like pick up and like be good at it. It's something you really have to do for years and years of your life. You know, if I could live my life over again, I'd be able to make good bread 
good croissant, and play bass like Bootsy Collins. That's cool. You're going to be a happy man. The key to pastry in a flaky crust is the butter has to stay cold, so when you cook it in the oven, the cold butter makes air pockets. If you have warm hands or work under room temperature conditions, the butter will be soft and melty, and it won't create those air pockets. Who knew that Dominic Ansel has poor circulation in his hands? His hands are always cold. So he can touch chocolate and butter and won't affect the way the dough comes out. I did not know this. Our DKS are, are, are very special, so you need right. quick hands. And right. you also need cold hands, which I have. Right. Luckily. Right. I have really, really cold hands. Yeah, you're right. It's freakish, man. <laughs> so it's good to touch the dough, to touch the chocolate. Right. I can do pretty much anything I want. Bad circulation, I believe we call it. <laughs> <laughs> so our dough is essentially pretty ready right here. You can see this this, this elasticity. Yeah. And we're just going to put it on a tray. Let it Let chill. It chill. Temperature is a critical issue here. The chilling of all components ensures optimal texture while you fold the dough. You want pliable, but not too soft. But what do you do to make a cronut? What do you do to make a croissant? Why does it taste so good? Why is it so flaky? Because you fold sheets of butter, alternating sheets of butter and dough to make these multiple layers pop out. So I'm going to ask you to do it with me. Okay. Uh, the real trick is to go really, really fast with this. Right. You don't want to... Uh, the dough to warm up on a table. Right. You have a square of butter for you. Uh oh. One for me. Oh man, I messed this up so bad in color. <laughs> oh, I was so unhappy. So we're going to fold the dough towards the center, pinch and seal. Then the folding begins, a process of rolling out and folding the dough multiple times upon itself until you form dozens of thin, discreet layers of alternating butter and dough. Yes to invest all your money to open a pastry shop in a city filled with pastry shops. Okay, maybe they're not as good, but, but it was a very risky venture. Why it did you do that? It was a very risky move, and at the time, I wasn't sure exactly what I was doing, but I knew deep inside that I wanted to have something on my own. Not because I was greedy, but more because I needed to express myself fully from the beginning to the end. He's an artist, and this is where Anthony Bourdain realizes it's not about the food. It's about using food, in the case of Dominic Ansel, and in the case of Anthony Bourdain, to emotionally touch people. You can do it being a comedian, being a sculptor, being a painter. However you do it, being on the radio. The joy in life is to be able to touch other people emotionally. And this guy, Dominic Ansel, does it through pastry. Dominique is clearly a chef who knows the value of a little showmanship. Like the best magicians, he puts a premium not just on delighting his audience, but on the countless hours of hard work involved to make it seem effortless. Chef Ansel is not just creating food, he's creating experiences. The food just happens to be his medium of choice. Right. And his currency is emotion. Emotion. And finally, summed up by Anthony Bourdain, the creativity of the greatest baker living in the world today, Dominic Ansel. We create pastries to like reach out to people's emotion. It's, it's the best. Even before Proust waxed rhapsodic about his famous Madeleine, cooks have long known that food is a powerful trigger for some of our most intimate memories. 
But Dominique is not interested in just cracking open your emotional past. He's interested in opening your sense of possibility. Every creation is designed to inspire wonder. And when wonder tastes like this... Oh, wow. Well, who am I to argue? I feel better about the world. See? I'm going to go home and make a mixtape. Oh, do we miss Anthony Bourdain? Coming up next, creativity. Yesterday in surgery, one of the surgeries I did was in a 280-pound big man. He wasn't fat. He's just big. And he's actually a college referee, football referee. But the deformity in his knee made his legs so crooked, so bow-legged, and it took place for so long because his adrenaline is there because he loves his work so much that the damage that I found made such a deformity in his tibia. He, in essence, was breaking his bone because there was no more cartilage. How did I fix this? How do you fix How do I make that leg straight again? I'll explain the creativity, the artistry, not a robot, but when your surgeon is an artist, great things can happen. Creativity, inventiveness, that's today's topic. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers' aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. This is Keyshawn in the morning. My man, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show starts your Saturday morning. Join the doc from 7 to 9 a.m. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Don't they ask the law. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Yo, Tango, un lapis amarillo. Thank you. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Against the wind. The wind. We were young and strong, we were the wind. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. One of the most underrated singer-songwriters of our time, Bob Seger. Running against the wind. That's Hoyle Schweitzer and Jim Drake. Three things they came up with that allowed the windsurfer to take off. One, the way they attached the mast to the surfboard. Other people put a sail on a surfboard before. If you read Tom Sawyer, everybody knew about wind blowing you when you're standing on top of a raft. So just blowing in the wind ain't the issue. Getting the power of the wind, that's not the problem. You got to be able to steer it. That's the tough part. And that's when Jim Drake came up with the first of the three great ideas. The universal joint that attaches the mast to the surfboard that allows you to move the vertical mast forward, back, sideways. 
Here's the second of the three key parts of the invention of the windsurfer. The wishbone boom. You hold on to it as the boom comes away from the, the sail itself. But it's a wishbone. It's bowed so that you can literally go on the other side of the standing on the this, on this surfboard and hold the sail on the other side. You can access both sides of the sail. The wishbone gives you that room to let the sail expand no matter what side you're standing on the windsurfer to catch the wind in the correct direction to steer it. That was the second of the three big advances, which is what launched the industry. And the third was in 1967 when they launched at Malibu, Hoyle Schweitzer, and you heard Matt Schweitzer, his son, talking about it, was the wind came up, bada boom, now you drop the sail. Now you're in the water. So you climb back up on the sail board. How do you how do you get the sail, which is soaking wet and in the water, to be vertical again? Another simple answer, but was revolutionary. He tied a rope to the mid portion of the mast so that when you were standing on the surfboard again, you could bend your knees, bend over, grab the rope, and then schlep the mast to be vertical again on top of the surfboard. Made it easy to do that. Those were the three things that allowed you to steer and, uh, and use the power of the wind. And once that invention existed, and once Matt Schweitzer, his son, jumped a wave at Sunset Beach here in California. You got through the decade of the 70s, but in the 1980s, the Hawaiians, like Robbie Nash, said, wait a minute, why do we have to have a gigantic surfboard? Let's make a small one like a skateboard, and we can fly through the air, cruising on top of the water, but then hit the wave and launch and do tricks. And the rest is history. When Dominic Ansel made the cronut, he realized he could do all kinds of creative things. Adriana, who works in my office, told me she literally flew to New York just to have a bite of what Dominic Ansel did with a s'mores. He reinvented the way a marshmallow, chocolate, and a graham cracker can taste. My mouth is watering already. He revolutionized the pastry industry. Everything this guy goes after, he changes the world. Let me tell you a little bit about yesterday in surgery. The lines are lit up, but I want to tell this story. This is a big man, 280 pounds. This is not going to be an easy operation. But rather than being nervous about it, after 16,000 surgeries, 32 years I'm doing this, I'm excited to help this man. And most importantly, four years ago, I did his other knee. So he's back. I'm ready, Dr. Clapper. It's crooked. I can't run up and down the field anymore. 
to do my work as a referee, please fix my other one. And when I opened his knee up, he became so bow-legged that there was no real viable bone on the big toe side of his knee joint, of his tibia. Many surgeons would have used a bone graft from either your pelvis or a cadaver. But I was able to use a lot of principles that I used when I sculpt in marble. It sounds crazy, but borrowing those tricks from my dad, the carpenter, measure twice, cut once, to preserve the ligament. This is where the robot don't help you at all because his medial collateral ligament needs to be saved. How much bone can you work with without jeopardizing how stable the knee is and the ligaments that need those bony anchors to be there? I didn't just find worn out cartilage and loss of bone, but I also found cysts, fluid collections, because the lubricating fluid, the synovial fluid, when there's no cartilage anymore, it's like a crack in the linoleum. Here's a clapper vision in the floor of your kitchen. If you pour water on the linoleum in your kitchen, linoleum is waterproof. You take a paper towel and you scoop it up. Your knee joint has cartilage. That lubricating fluid is like water, the synovial fluid. The synovial can't get through the cartilage, so it stays in the joint. The water stays on top of the linoleum. You could scoop it up with a paper towel. But if you have a crack in your linoleum, you pour water on your floor, guess what happens? That water can go through the linoleum, which is waterproof, and destroy the plywood and the wooden beams that are underneath the linoleum. They call it dry rot. It ain't dry. It's because of water getting in there, ruining the floorboards. That happens in your knee joint, too. We call it fancy words. Sub, because it's below. Chondral, fancy word for cartilage. Subchondral cysts. Now you have pockets of fluid, the synovial fluid, which now can get through the worn-out cartilage and poison the bone underneath. So as soon as you start working on that bone, you realize it's got termites in it, subchondral cysts. But it was so gratifying for me to make his knee straight, stable, fully extend and fully flexed and because he weighs so much and he's young and he's going to run again refereeing football games I used a great innovation called a mobile bearing this is what I did to Tony Danza who loves to call into the show and I love that guy he's back tap dancing on Broadway and running around playing softball because in his knees I used a new innovation called a mobile bearing where the plastic, the new cartilage, the new meniscus rotates. It can move. It's mobile. And that way I don't have to worry about him wearing it out in his lifetime. It's just so cool to be able to be creative in any field, whatever you do for a living. I happen to be a surgeon, but I don't care what you do. You could be an electrician, a plumber, a chef. A board operator like Steve Paulette and Zach. I don't care what it is. Learn from Dominic Ansel. Learn from Hoyle Schweitzer and Jim Drake. Learn from the ventures. That's what this show is all about today. Being creative. 
Coming up next, I'll take your calls. I owe it to the clinic. The number is 877-710-ESPN. The clinic will be open. We'll do some clap revision. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Wish I didn't know now what I didn't know then. Against the wind. We were running against the wind. We were young and strong. We were running against the wind. Get smart. Just what are you getting at? Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Like this. Medical advice from Cedar sinai head of orthopedic surgery. Are you kidding? With a far rockaway attitude and a little drizzle of mozzarella. Well, it's important to me. Search Weekend Warrior in the space bar. Like this. And click on Doc's picture. I see. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, it's John Ireland. You know there is no better way to start your Saturday than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip, Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Soon to be a major motion picture. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Without a good hip, you ain't hopping, that's for sure. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. The answer, my friend, is a blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. Warriors, welcome back. Blowing in the wind, that's how you ride the waves on a windsurfer. Great Bob Dylan. Clinics open, lines are all lit up. So much fun to spend every Saturday with you for 10 and a half years, soon to be 11 years. Wow, that's a lot of clapper vision, and I love it. Numbers 877-710-ESPN. Steve, who do we take first? Ross. Ross, you're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hey, Dr. Clapper, thanks for taking my call. Um, my pleasure. Week, you, live in West, you, you live in West L.A. You know what? Wait till I reveal where the best cronut is in Los Angeles, and it's in West Los Angeles. So you're going to be able to get yourself a cronut. I can't wait to hear what you say about it, Ross. How can I help you? How young are you? What do you do for a living? Um, I'm 67, and I'm a retired physician. Get out of here. What kind of doctor? Yeah. I was a pediatrician back in the day. Oh, God bless you. Stop saying back in the day. I'm 64. I'm still doing it. That means I should retire. (laughs) I'm not retiring, though. I love it too much. Um, Last Last week, you did some great Clapper vision on trigger finger surgery. Yeah. And I wanted to let you know that Dr. Clap, Dr. Um, Culbert at Cedars did both of my trigger finger yeah. surgeries. And now he does it endoscopically yeah. with a little tiny scope in my finger. So, <laughs> I love it. Uh, I love him. It's great. But that's, that's not why I'm calling today. Okay, so tell I me. I wanted to ask you um, quickly. I wanted to ask you about my wife. Yes. She is 66. Yes. And she had a fall mm-hmm. last December, mm-hmm. about nine months ago, landed awkwardly on her knee, yes. had a little puncture wound b- below her um, kneecap, yes. a tiny tear in a ligament that healed, a tiny meniscus tear that healed, Good. but she developed a severe case of tendinitis in that infrapatellar tendon, mm-hmm. which has been unresponsive to physical therapy, um, anti-inflammatories, and everything else. And I got um, a question for ne- you. Did you ever? Yeah. Wa- did you, has she ever walked in the swimming pool? 
Um, she has done some PT in the pool, but not with every mm-hmm. visit. It depended on the therapist Got and it. the particular day of therapy. Got it. Okay. Um, so she had one steroid injection oh. just to calm down the tendon. But, Did you just tell um, me I you know- listened to the show? How could you let anybody give her a cortisone shot? Um, well, we, she didn't rupture the tendon. She wore a straight leg brace for oh, the whole God. month after the injection to be safe. But it was the worst tendonitis that both orthopedists at Cedars had ever seen. You're not giving, so, I'm not giving anybody a cortisone shot if for patella tendonitis. It, it's like, yeah. it's like marinating. It's going to weaken the tendon. The only ruptured tendons I see are people who had the damn shots. Please. Yep. No more shots. Okay. We're with you. We're with you. No more shots. But now we're in the um, uh, recommendation uh, through Curlin Job Cedars to do the 10X procedure where they put the little probes in and then the shock waves or ultrasound kind of debrides all the dead old tendon tissue. Mm -hmm. And then you get a little PRP injection to help build new tendon. Wanted to get your opinion on 10X and PRP and kind of the timing of those types of procedures. Now that it's been nine months, she still can't walk more than about two or three blocks, and she's getting her physical therapy still until we decide about this procedure. My wife always says I never answer the question, so I'm going to do my best to answer the question. (laughs) Palgasol bilateral patella tendons had this procedure and did great. So that's my answer to that. There's, here's the difference between your wife and Pau Gasol. How tall is your wife? Uh, she's five feet tall. Pau Gasol is much taller. <laughs> it's much taller. Uh, I would say that's an understatement. Thank you very much. <laughs> what does Pau Gasol have in common with a little five foot tall Jewish lady? I would say pretty much nothing. But they both had, the, or at least designed to have this procedure. The key. The key issue to answer this question is how much altacocoritis is going on inside the knee joint itself. In other words, the patella tendonitis that isn't responding is one thing. But are you telling me that a 66-year-old, 5-foot-tall Jewish lady has got a knee that is as pristine with regards to arthritis as a young 25, 30-year-old and I'm obviously not saying she's a basketball player, but you better be careful because if you use the logic that the only thing that's leading to the patella tendonitis is the damage you see in the patella tendon, then you do a surgery or a procedure that's strictly for the patella tendon. But if there is also arthritis going on inside the joint, then you have to ask yourself, You know what do they say? When you're a hammer, all the world becomes a nail. If you're a doctor that only does arthroscopy or only does, you know, meniscus or tendonitis in in young athletes and is not used to seeing older patients who have damage deeper in the joint, then you're going to just see the patella tendon and not see the whole knee. You know what I'm saying? I'd hate her. I already hate that you got a cortisone shot in there, but I I don't want to be blind to the entirety of the knee. Capiche? You know what I'm saying? What do you do for a living? Um, oh, yeah, um, yeah, you just told me you're a pediatrician. So here's my pediatrician clap revision for you. You have a little kid who comes to your 
office coughing. The mother says to you, Dr. Russ, we need you to give us Robitussin. And you would say, uh, with all due respect, mom, this little boy of yours is coughing. Yes, he'll feel better with Robitussin. But you're a pediatrician. You're going to work that little kid up for all kinds of things that causes the cough, right? You're not going to just say, let's get rid of the cough with Robitussin. If that little kid has pneumonia, God forbid, he needs antibiotics to stop the cough, not Robitussin. So if you're going to now just tell me a 66-year-old woman has got just patella tendonitis and the rest of the knee is fine and you're going to work on the patella tendon, I would argue with you, you better look deeper at what's causing the patella tendonitis. Damn right. All right? Okay. Thank you very much. Her MRI didn't show anything else with the knee joint. It's really localized to the tendon, and she did have a puncture wound. Ah, forget um, that. Forget, but didn't you, didn't you just tell me? So didn't you just tell me she had a meniscus tear that healed? Yeah. Well, by definition, damaging the meniscus is not the same as you saying she had an MRI and everything else is fine. That's not correct. I see. I see. So I, 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 I believe it's like when Jack Nicholson comes to see me with sunglasses indoors. You're wearing sunglasses indoors right now. Don't, don't not see what's actually in front of you. All right? Okay. That's Thank my you, advice Dr. to you. And thanks so much for being a loyal Weekend Warrior listener. All right, Warriors. Coming up next, I'm going to tell some stories about today's topic, which is innovation. Taking two separate worlds, blending them together in art, in sports, and in my world of surgery. The lines are all lit up. I'll take those calls, but let me tell some stories first. And thanks for listening to the Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. How many years must a mountain exist Before it is washed to the sea It's good to be king, right King James? Absolutely And good to be courtly friends on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page I love it Be treated like medical royalty with Clappervision Feast like a monarch on Doc's delectable finds. There we go. And that far rockaway jester humor. <laughs> Search Weekend Warrior and click on Doc's regal picture. Cool. <laughs> Sound the trumpets. No cortisone, alchemy, or leeches here. Everything's good. Bow, curtsy, like, or follow the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. That makes me happy. Cheers.